We're going to talk about prayer, and I have no idea how long this is going to take. We may get it all done today, or we may go a couple of times, I don't know. The thing that started me off on this is I got a Sidur that my eldest son gave me, and if anybody is interested in chasing down my references, it's the Art Scroll Ashkenazi Sidur for the Shabbat and the Faith Festivals. And the beginning of it talks about prayer and the role of prayer and an overview of prayer and, and so forth. And I read it and I thought it was very profound. And then I remembered a year or two ago, I did a series on prayer from Yeshua's perspective, mostly taken out of Luke chapters 11 through 18 and some through Matthew 6. So I thought I'd combine them because they're very consistent and seemed like a good thing to do. So the first thing that the Art Scroll Sidur starts off with is modernity, or how we are today. We have the illusion with modern medicine, for example, that we have a great deal of control over disease. When someone gets sick or broken or needs to be stitched up, that we go to the hospital and we get all these wonder drugs and CAT scans and on and on and on. And we've put our trust there, whereas a hundred years ago, when someone got sick, prayer was at least as important a component of healing as the physician was. In most of our society, that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. And the other example they talk about is farming. A couple hundred years ago, you put your seed in the soil and you prayed. Now you've got massive irrigation systems and all sorts of fertilizer and genetically engineered crops and the earth has brought forth food to a degree that Malthusians wouldn't have thought possible 200 years ago. If you remember the theories of science in the 19th century, population increased anymore, we were all going to starve to death because the earth wasn't going to be able to feed us. And the earth right now has got an order of magnitude more people than people in the 19th century thought was going to be possible. As you see science sort of advancing and going into all areas, their tendency is to put prayer as, well, it just isn't important as it used to be. It's sort of like, well, you guys can pray for me to get well, but if it really gets bad, I'm going to the hospital where I know they can fix me, or at least I know I've got the best chance of getting fixed. So the question then is, what's the place of prayer today in light of all this? And needless to say, the Sidur has an answer. And they quote from Hirsch. And I'll read this verbatim because it's actually very lovely. In life itself, you do not gather strength for a living, nor in the practice of truth, righteousness, and love do you absorb the recognition of and the feeling for truth, righteousness, and love. You cannot equip yourself to fight against the inner and outer dangers against troubles and passions when you are engulfed in the very midst of battle. Life often robs you of the power and strength that circumstances make necessary, for it tends to remove from you truth and offers falsehood. It forces you to surrender when your task is to conquer. The grammar is 19th century English, which is wonderful, but is not the way we think these days. What he's saying is, as you are living your life, you're not gathering strength, you're expending it. 
you don't get a feeling for truth, righteousness, and love going through life, you have to get that somewhere else. And he uses a metaphor of battle. You don't train for war in the midst of a war. You train for war outside of the battlefield. Even in the midst of the war, when you're training soldiers constantly, you don't take raw recruits and just shove them into the battlefield if you intend to win. You take your recruits, you train them outside of battle, and then when they're trained, you put them into battle. And he's talking about this same thing. So he says, in life itself, you do not gather strength for a living, nor in the practice of truth, righteousness, and love do you absorb the recognition of and the feeling for truth, righteousness, and love. So as you're going through your life, you're expending the things that you have picked up in your training. The Siddur goes through three aspects of prayer, titled Man is Prayer, Prayer is Clarity, and then the third one is Perceiving God. So the first one quotes from 1 Samuel 1.15, Hannah's prayer. Remember Hannah is praying for a child and she eventually conceives Samuel. And she says, I poured out my soul before the Lord. It doesn't say I prayed. It says I poured out my soul before the Lord. The implication there is that the soul itself is intimately connected with prayer. The other one is out of the Mishnah. And there are five things that cause destruction. I don't have all five at my fingertips, but basically things like an open pit or an ox that gores, remember out of Exodus, the laws of recompense for things. One of those, the Hebrew word is mave, and it is translated in my copy of the Mishnah as man. But the word mave derives from the root bet ayin he, which means to pray. So again, you're talking about men being connected with destruction when they're unconnected to God. That's the sense of the mission of passage, if you will. The thing then goes on to talk about prayer being your soul. And they're using soul here in the sense that we used heart. Remember we talked about the heart last week? And the heart is the thing that directs your desires. And we talked about the desires of your heart, and we said that emotion is the message that the heart uses to the mind to get the mind to go along with what the heart wants. And so it's talking here about what's important. So, for example, if you're in a business deal, typically the negotiations are not what's on your heart. The result of the deal is what's on your heart. Negotiation and stuff that goes on around it is sort of superfluous stuff to get to the thing that your heart wants. So what it's talking about here is you need to connect your heart to God, and the way to do that is prayer. Otherwise, the desires of your heart, left to its own devices, will lead you to evil. We talked about that last time, too. The heart left to its own devices will lead you to evil. And what prayer does is connects your heart to God so that the desires of your heart then are in the service of God as opposed to in your own service because your heart will get you to do what it wants to do. So the question then is, where is it going to be connected? Is it going to be serving its own purposes, or is it going to be serving the purposes of God? And prayer is what makes that connection, if you will. Prayer is clarity. Second point. The word for prayer, which is tefillah, comes from the root word pay lamed lamed, which literally means to judge, 
to differentiate, to clarify, and to decide. So the Hebrew root word for prayer is all of those things. So prayer helps you clarify, decide, and specifically in light of the original comment from Hirsch, it allows you to separate the immediate that the world gives you and demands your attention. And the world constantly demands your attention with the immediate. And what prayer does is it allows you to separate the immediate from the eternal. In that sense, it's a process of self-evaluation. Because what we're trying to do is we are trying to get ourselves lined up with God. And in order to do that, you have to know who you are, especially who you are with respect to God. That's a process that happens away from the world. That is not a process that happens while you're decisively engaged with the immediate stuff in the world. Because when you're dealing with the immediate stuff of the world, stepping back to reflect is difficult. So you do that in your prayer closet. And then the third one is perceiving God. And what prayer does is allows you to perceive God correctly. And the example the prayer book uses is very interesting. It's agriculture. God provides all the raw materials. He provides the seed. He provides the soil. He provides the rain. And he provides the sunshine. The difference between a bountiful crop and a patch of weeds is your work. God hasn't changed. God provides everything to everybody. And the difference between blessing and lack or poverty is figuring out through prayer what to do with the resources that God provides. You can be diligent, you can till, you can pull the weeds out, you can take care of the resources that God has given you, in which case you reap blessing. Or you can be lazy and perverse and wonder why God isn't blessing you when in fact the reason God isn't blessing you is because of your own behavior. I'm talking in agricultural metaphors, but it really has to do with everything. The reason that people don't get blessed is not because God has chapped at them or because God hasn't provided the proper ingredients for blessing. The reason people don't get blessed is because they have not lined themselves up with the things that God says to do to get blessing. In the agricultural business, it's obvious. It's not necessarily so obvious in other lines of endeavor, but the Torah talks to all of them. It talks about honest weights and measures. It talks about how you operate your tongue. It talks about how you deal with your neighbor in every aspect. And if you'll take the instructions of the Torah and you'll apply it to the raw materials that God gives you, and prayer allows you to do that, you then reap blessing. And the problem with most of the world today, especially much of the church and certainly much of the secular world, is they go through life angry and frustrated and not understanding why they're not reaping blessing. And the place to start is you look at your own behavior and you reflect it through the Torah by prayer. And what God will show you is where you are out of step with his instructions, where you're not plowing, where you're not pulling the weeds, where you're not putting the seed down. He'll show you that. And when you get that in line with his 
instructions, you will reap blessing. If you don't do that, you'll reap a field full of weeds and brambles. Same soil, same water, same sunshine. The physical inputs from God are the same. The difference is, what do you do with it? In fact, a friend of mine who was a bit sarcastic told this story, and, and he thought of it one way and I thought of another. There was a corner lot, beautiful. Rose bushes, lush grass, everything nicely trimmed, just gorgeous. And the preacher walked down the street because the, this beautiful lot was between his house and the church. And he'd walk by and admire the place, and one day he walked by and there was Mr. Jones standing out there. And he says, ah, Mr. Jones, it's beautiful what the Lord has provided here. And Jones says, yeah, but you should have seen it when it was just God's. And when it was just God's, it was nothing but weeds and bare dirt and all that kind of stuff. I mean, the guy that told me the joke was saying it sarcastically, but the theology is spot on. And I had an opportunity then to, to witness to him, <laughs> which was kind of cool. So from the Sidur's perspective, there are three purposes to prayer. One is getting your heart aligned with God because you're designed to pray. You're designed to be in relationship to God. And what prayer does is gets that relationship lined up. It helps you clarify. And finally, it helps you to perceive God accurately. The other thing to understand is prayer is not a laundry list. There's a preacher I like, his favorite phrase is, my name is Jimmy Gimme. For a lot of people, that's what passes for prayer. One of the things that should be obvious to everybody is God knows what you need. You don't need to tell him. God knows what you need better than you do. And if your only purpose in prayer is telling God what you need, you've missed the boat. He already knows. God does not respond to need. He responds to prayer. What I'll suggest to you is it has to do with motive. And if your motive is, okay, God, here's my list today, and I'm talking to you because I need this list, you've missed the boat. God certainly wants you to discuss with him the things in your life to include the things that you would like to have happen. The way I would describe it is you would sit down with your children. You know that they need shoes. You know that they need clothes. You know that they need to be fed. You know that they need to be educated. You know all that stuff. But what you want to do is you want to sit down with them and you want to talk about specifically what they want to do, what their goals are, how they want to get there. Do they want saddle shoes or sneakers? All of those things are appropriate for prayer in an atmosphere of you are talking to your father, not this is a list for Santa Claus. I will suggest there's nothing wrong with putting your petitions before God. I think that's very sound. The question is, is this Santa Claus that you're mailing your list off to North Pole, or is this someone that you're discussing your life with? What prayer does is it allows you to discuss things with God with the idea of getting yourself lined up with Him. Performing the commandments does nothing for God. In other words, God doesn't need you to be charitable. God doesn't need you to do anything. Performing the commandments brings you into line with Him in the agricultural sense so that you can receive the blessings. 
performing the commandments is the equivalent of plowing and weeding and trimming and all of the things that you do on a farm to make the farm fruitful. You're part of the labor, if you will. God provides the raw materials. The commandments allow you to turn those raw materials into blessing. So what I'm suggesting to you is that what prayer does is get you into relationship with God so that you change because your heart left to its own devices will lead you astray. It also allows you to appropriate the raw materials that God puts down and turn them into blessings. And it's also the thing that you were designed to do. Our function is to connect the spiritual world with the physical world. That's what he's designed us to do. The way you do that is through prayer. And prayer changes you. It doesn't change God. You need to be real clear about who gets changed in this process. You don't talk God into anything. You don't change God. You don't coerce God. What you do by fulfilling your function, which is connecting God to his creation, is you change. And Fiddler on the Roof, Tevye, is constantly talking to God. Everything he does, there's a side conversation going on with God. And God is his friend, his father, his companion. And the feeling I get is as he's milking his cow, God's standing there with him, and he's chatting with God as he's milking the cow. It's that kind of a relationship, and that is the essence of prayer. Let's look at what Yeshua has to say about the subject. And Yeshua starts off in Matthew chapter 6, telling us what prayer is not. So if you go to Matthew chapter 6, and we'll pick it up in verse 5, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And the Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Stop there. We're going to go on, but let's stop there for a minute. What's he saying here? Your purpose in prayer is to connect to God, not influence your social standing in the community. So what Yeshua is saying here is you need to understand what the purpose of prayer is. And it's what we have been saying heretofore, that it's fulfilling your function of connecting God to his creation through you. And you, and you, and you. In other words, he's got lots of connections into his creation, and you're one of them. And fulfilling that function is not necessarily a public activity. Verse 7, And when you pray, do not use vain repetition as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. We've already talked about that. So what's that saying? What I'm suggesting to you is this has nothing to do with Christian prayer of whatever denomination or Jewish prayer because it specifically says do not pray as the heathens do. Now, Jewish service, synagogue service, is every bit as liturgical as Catholic service, as Lutheran service, or any other service. And if he was talking about synagogue service here, he would say so. And he specifically identifies heathens. One of the problems we get into is most of the groups that I 
have been involved with are sort of vaguely anti-Catholic. So their mind just goes to saying the rosary because they're sort of spring-loaded in that position. I've never said the rosary, and it isn't something that I'm familiar with, so I can't really comment there. What I can say is that the plain words of Yeshua is he is talking about heathens. And he's also saying, for they think they will be heard by their many words. What I'm suggesting he's talking about is something on the order of meditation, where you repeat this syllable over and over again to blank your mind out, or where you are trying to manipulate God. Now, understand that the function of a pagan priest is to manipulate a pagan god. That's what you hire him for. The function of a Jewish priest is not to manipulate Yehovah. And your function in prayer is not to manipulate God. Your function in prayer is to get lined up with God. Talking about liturgical prayer, and we happen to use the Amidah, is it serves as a framework within which you can pray and it serves to touch all of the things that you should be reminded of as you are talking to God and so as as used as a framework it is useful. I would say something more about liturgy. I like liturgy by the way. One of the uses I have seen with liturgy is I don't know about you but I'm not always completely focused and we are body mind and spirit. The thing that liturgy does is it keeps the body on the path so that when the mind finally comes back from wherever it was vacationing, the body is not off in the weeds somewhere. So if you're going along through your life and your attention wanders and you're drifting off and your body drifts off that way and you finally come back and you realize, oh my goodness, where have I been? And you look over what your body's been doing while you were gone, oh my goodness, that's a mess. And not only do you have to get your mind back, but you've also got to now reach out and snag your body and bring it back. And the nice thing about liturgy is your feet always stay on the right path so that when you finally get your attention back to where it's supposed to be, you haven't strayed. And I find that very valuable sometimes. When you study the scriptures or read the Psalms or so forth, that is also prayer, and it very much is. Because what you're doing is, again, you're getting yourself aligned with the Word of God. And one of the most powerful things to do is appropriately pray the Word of God into a situation. Because then you know it's dead right, assuming it's organized properly. One of the things that happens as a source of strength to prisoners of war is as everything is coming apart around them, they often return to liturgy that they learned as children and that stabilizes them and helps prevent their collapse. When I am feeling particularly beleaguered, which occasionally happens, I go and I say, no weapon formed against me will prosper. And every tongue that rises against me in judgment I do condemn. And this is my heritage as a servant of the Lord. And my righteousness is from him. That's one I use. There are lots of declarations in scripture that fit situations like that. We're about out of time. Where we're going next time is we're going to go to Luke 11 through 18. And we're going to take each of these vignettes and we're going to look at them in the context of prayer because in each of those, Yeshua has something to say to us about prayer.
please consider becoming a sponsor. You can sponsor us for as little as a dollar a month. Please visit crimsonthread.com purpose for an explanation of what we're doing and perhaps to become a sponsor. Thank you. Thank you.